Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to the Senior Vice President for Product and Engineering at Quantumetric, our guest, Adam Dill, a tech leader that is focused on continued product service development to drive his and other companies forward. So let's not delay. Let's get Adam into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Adam. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. Yeah, thanks, TC. Great to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so I lead R&D at Quantumetric. Um, that's a combined product and engineering organization. So everything from ideation on the product all the way through delivering to market. Brilliant. That's great. So before we jump into that, because I'm really curious about what your company does and the problem it's solving in the market, is how the hell did you get to where you are now? What was your journey to becoming a, a uh, technology officer within the organization? Yeah, definitely from a, a traditional engineering background. So I uh, got a computer science degree, uh, got a master's in software engineering. So that's definitely my my foundation is that engineering uh, layer there. But I've always been kind of the um, the curious engineer about why are we doing something? Who are we doing it for? Why are we solving this problem? Um, and that has kind of dovetailed into taking on more product responsibility as I've gone. And I love I love doing both. You know, the leadership aspect of, of it just came for me partway through my career, uh, ended up in a group that that grew to the point where it needed leadership. And, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. And people recognized that I loved to work with others and mentor and help others grow and, you know, sit down with people and solve problems together. And I think those things all just work really well to take someone from an individual contributor to a leadership track. I love it. I, I guess this is a, there's some real wisdom in that, actually. I'm going to stop there for a second and talk about that, because sometimes by putting out the intent of what you love doing, you know, really telling people, I love this, I love, it, it gives people a, an avenue as well. When that opportunity arrives, they, they kind of show you through the door kind of thing, you know, so, um, so that's brilliant. And, um, and in what ways did you kind of show your enthusiasm for that? I, I'm kind of curious as to how that, what that looked like. I mean, for me, it was just kind of a natural thing. I think that's something you, if you're in the position looking for new leaders, I think you do want to look for that um, natural feel because you you don't want to pigeonhole someone into a new role just because maybe they're a senior engineer. We've, mm. we've probably all seen that, uh, you know, fail to work out a bunch of times. But for me, it was just, um, I was naturally led to uh, you know, maybe we have a code base and new engineers come on board and I love to sit down with them and teach them how it works and and kind of like um, usher them to this point where they're succeeding on their own. That was just a natural thing built into me, kind of like um, multiplying what I knew by giving it to other people and seeing them kind of like jump out of the nest and, and fly. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't me thinking, you know, I want to go to school for a certain thing and then really like try and figure out what do you do to be a leader that was just part of who I was and a certain role allowed it to kind of come out and things went from there. Brilliant. That's great. So let's come on to your company then. What's the problem that it's solving in the market? Yeah. Uh, so the problem that Quantumetric solves is uh, it's, it's especially 
um, relevant now after COVID, but digital has become more important than ever. And and we've, we've all talked over the last year about this, this uh, acceleration of digitalization, uh, something that used to be kind of a long-term goal for a lot of companies, all of a sudden in the span of a month for a lot of companies became, this is priority number one, making digital great quality. Um, and we have always been something that uncovers what can feel kind of like a black box of that customer experience. Like I build this product, I know what I want it to do. I throw it out there in the market and what's happening? How are people interacting with it? Why are numbers not what we expect them to be in terms of revenue and conversion or sign up rate or all these things that you you go to build a product to to try to, you know, you set them as your goal for that product. Um, and so we've always uncovered those things with session replay, with great analytics, with combining those two things. Over time though, we've seen that uh, it's turned into kind of this way to break down organizational silos using quantum. Uh, we have this really wide uh, data set. And by looking at that data set through different lenses, you know, a product person has their things that they're concerned about. An engineer has, you know, technical page load, that sort of thing. Business side wants to see how are my business health metrics looking. If we can take that one data set and provide different lenses into it, you knock down kind of the uh, the arguments over my data set doesn't agree with yours because we use two different tools and two different contracts. And um, and so over time, we've birthed this process called continuous product design that has turned into a way for organizations to work closer together to kind of expand the, the old DevOps idea, both directions to the product side and to the kind of customer focus side after something goes out to market. And all of a sudden now, what used to just be agile with engineering uh, has turned into a whole organization-wide way of looking at everything through the lens of what the customer sees. Brilliant. Love it. It's, um, so as many people know that listen to the podcast, I'm a big fan of business agility. I guess that's this is what it's speaking to. It's that agility mm -hmm. to be able to pivot and move and go, go very customer-centric. You're just following the customer around into their needs, you know? Yes, absolutely. The, the kind of iteration speed uh, of that part of agility has come as a natural part of using quantum or embracing the CPD process because everyone's looking at the same uh, data set. They understand what the primary customer needs are. There's less arguing about, should we do this or that? Um, and it allows you to really just get to the crux of a problem you want to solve, go solve it, and then see how it performed out in the market and kind of reiterate through that process. Um, and of course, there's things built into quantum that help you uh, you know, monitor the solution, figure out when things go off, you know, your conversion rate dips after you do a release. And those kind of things really also help with agility because you feel like there's this thing sitting there that's got your back and yeah. you can move faster knowing that it's going to throw up a red flag as soon as something goes off. Yeah, I love that. So, yeah, this is a hot topic for me. Feedback loops. I love big, fat, juicy feedback loops. And I guess there's lots of feedback loops coming back here. Um, yeah, I mean, um, to describe to the audience, what does the platform look like? I mean, is it like a dashboard that's kind of got lots of metrics coming in and they're being presented in lots of graphical ways? Yeah, yeah, it, it is that. Uh, you know, we have a, a large group of engineers that work on a React UI. That's probably, you know, 70% of the work we do is the data is already there and gathered. And of course, we have teams that are managing how do we gather it, how do we store it and query it. But mm -hmm most of our work is poured into what's a new way to visualize this? What's a new way to kind of marry maybe replay data with analytics, uh, query in a different way and aggregate in a different way that gives you a new data visualization that helps you solve some kind of problem. So it's a lot of, a lot of dashboarding and connecting a lot of those dashboards down to 
the, the micro level, which is session replay. So I always want to go from macro to micro or micro to macro. I either want to get a big uh, kind of analytical macro insight and then zoom down to see what that looks like for a segment of users with session replay or the other direction. I want to find a user that had a specific problem and then I want to figure out, well, how many other people is that affecting? So it's either, you know, diving into the micro level or starting there and then widening out to see, is this something I should worry about for a larger group of people? Yeah. Yes. Excellent. So Adam, I imagine with all this data and the representation, it's kind of abstractions of, of visualizing as well. You know, you can just put the raw number or you can represent it in kind of different graphical ways. Um, mm -hmm. So with the data, is there some form of kind of interpretation of the data, like some form of machine learning or AI looking at the patterns or do you do that within the platform? Yeah, I mean, the first thing you mentioned is different ways of looking at the same insight. Uh, that's something that we we think about all the time, especially on that front end engineering part of our organization is I want to maybe I want to look at something like page load time and I could look at it as a stat, you know, over a, a day period. What was my average page load time? Or I could look at that over time because maybe I introduced some kind of problem and time series data would help me see my page load used to be one second. And then today when we did release at noon, it jumped up to four seconds. Right. Um, maybe I want to group it by some kind of dimension. I want to see page load time by browser. So there's all different ways of slicing that one metric. And then of course we have hundreds of, of different metrics that we provide. And then on the, on the AI ML side, uh, that's, it's a newer area for us. It's about, you know, a year and a half um, that we've been formally working on data science projects. So we have a data science team and they've tried to focus on really saving users time. So they've been working on things like um, intelligent alerting. So uh, we have an, an effort in progress called Experience AI, where a customer can just tell us the few metrics that indicate success of their business. For you know, for the e-com side, it's gonna be things like revenue and conversion rate, and, um, but maybe it's sign-up rate um, for another industry. These are kind of like the, uh, the guiding lights for that organization. And what we can do when we know about those metrics is with AI and ML, we can cross those metrics with thousands of different audience segments across their traffic. And when that KPI or business metric deviates for one of those audiences, then we can tell them exactly which audience was affected and tell them some other problems that, that might have occurred that form this kind of entire picture of you caused the problem. Here's the, the indicators of what went wrong and here's how it affects your business with the deviation right. of that metric. Yeah. Give us an example of a, of a scenario where this kind of made a huge impact on the organization. I, I, I've, I've got lots of kind of ideas and stories. Is there a kind of real one that you can share? Yeah. So, um, you know, the browser, the world of browsers, um, we do web, both web and native monitoring, but especially in the world of browsers, um, we just see these kind of specific problems pop up for one browser or another. Um, Safari has kind of turned into the, the IE7 of, of 2021 <laughs> these days. It's like, it's the one having interesting problems compared to the other set of browsers. Um, but we would see, uh, you know, a change from one of our customers go out into the wild and impact just the Safari browser, for instance. Like we, we have this uh, error that's happening, a JavaScript error that's happening just on that one particular browser. And it's preventing people from getting to add to cart. And in that case, they can't, of course, convert and then buy anything. And so this yeah. thing would surface, hey, your Safari users have a problem right now with conversion. Here's when it started. 
And here's some other console errors that are happening with that same segment of traffic at that same time. And now you get this nicely packaged uh, kind of problem report sent to you. And the, the whole point of that is reduce all the time that it normally takes someone to dig in and figure out, okay, when did it start? What other things are happening? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a process we've seen humans use over the years with quantum to derive value, but we, it was something we could automate away with AI and ML. So it's been really, really Brilliant. useful from a customer standpoint. I love that. I, I can imagine this makes uh, a lot of your kind of end clients um, uh, takes the kind of sweat out of them. It, it's kind of easier to just know everything's fine. Thumbs up. Yeah. You know, relax. Or, or oh, it, it, the problem happened. Um, I, I recall a project we worked on where we never actually knew whether things were up or not. So there's this whole angst around that, you know, so it kind of takes the ease out of that. Um, yep. Actually, what I'm going to, so we're talking about customers uh, taking the, uh, allowing customers to kind of sleep well at night. I, I love that. How about yourself? What, as a tech leader, what makes you, keeps you up at night yourself? Uh, you know, I probably tend to, Someone asked me recently, you know, where do you lean towards the the head or the heart of the product is how they described it. Um, the head being get things done, like, you know, execute, execute, execute. The heart being more that um, problem side. You know, what are we trying to solve? What's the customer struggling with? What is their job to be done? And I, if I had to choose there, I would say I lean more towards the head, probably because of my engineering background. It's like, are we getting things done? Does everyone know, you know, what the point of this effort is and are they on track and you know, how do we look on the project schedule, that sort of thing. So I would say I'm, I'm more kept up at night by that side of things, you know, like how, how quickly are we moving? Does everyone understand the end goal? Is there anyone who's as, especially as we're growing, is there anyone who's like falling off the wayside and getting lost and they don't understand what their piece represents in the bigger story of what we're trying to do. Those are the things that worry me at night. Brilliant. Okay, that's good. Uh, I, yeah, I can imagine being a, a tech leader is, uh, you know, uh, quite kind of challenging on many fronts, you know, because companies, you know, the technology is interwoven into everything we do now, you know, and to make sure they kind of keep the lights on. It's not only, only about the innovation, it's about the keeping the lights on as well, which is the most important mm -hmm. part of it, you know, but people all forget that. And uh, yeah, absolute kudos to, to yourselves and other tech leaders out there. Um, here you go. It's a nice question for you. I always like to know what, what kind of drives uh, our tech leaders you know what's the real passion underlying your work and and who you are that that you bring to work and makes you jump out of bed in the morning yeah it's probably it's probably tough problems you know um getting to focus on things that that it makes me feel like my my wheels are turning or i'm being challenged or i'm having to really dig for how do we solve this problem um, and and especially when it's focused on something that our customers are just fighting with every day. Cause I know those are the huge opportunities for growth of the company um, by solving really, really tough problems for the user. Uh, and so those are the ones that I, I think about. There's also a little, a bit of like change baked into there. And I'm someone who loves change. I think encountering a new problem each day, instead of getting kind of like stuck on, we're just doing this one thing all the mm -hmm. time is good for my personality. I know people land on, both sides of that, like liking to dig in and understand something really well, or liking to run into different things as they go. Yeah. And I'm on, I'm on the ladder where I just, I love to see a new challenge. I'd love to encounter something new. And so the nature of a startup has been, has been great for that. Cause it feels like no two days <laughs> are, are ever the same here. Yeah. Ticks all the boxes kind of thing. So yeah. kind of segueing into your kind of leader, leadership as general. So as a tech leader, how do you roll? What's your kind of style? Yeah. 
I, I like to be more hands off, you know, give someone, um, here's why we're back to that part of, of who I am that I like to understand who we're doing it for and why I'd love to give someone the, the customer problem we're trying to solve and here's how we can solve it at a very kind of high level and then let someone run, especially from an engineering standpoint, run to, to solve that problem with the solution that they see fit. Uh, now that of course requires a certain level of, of engineering understanding and, um, and talent, I guess, like you have to have a certain seniority of leader to just say, here's a problem, run off and solve it. I know you'll do it in a way that's scalable, performant, yada, yada, all the things. I know you'll tick all the boxes. Yeah. So I, I tend to balance that, what I like to be with a little bit more guardrails and guidance, depending on who I'm giving that task to, to say, here's a potential solution. Here's some of the things that we need to, the check boxes that we need to make technically to keep them on, on the right path. So I, you know, that's, that really turns out to be a little bit more prescriptive guidance on how to solve this problem. Um, just because we can't always live in that utopia of like, I'm just going to give you half an hour of a discussion on the problem. And then I know it'll come back to me perfectly solved. You know? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you kind of mentioned off, uh, offline, uh, about, kind of cross-functionality of your leadership you, you don't like to kind of silo yourself in a particular thing you, you like to understand what's going on tell the audience a little bit about that for me i mean that that's the product side you know that's um the engineering side is obvious uh, from what we've talked about that's my background but the product side is not always part of uh, an engineering leader's uh, kind of sphere of control but that's something where um, i feel like everyone benefits from knowing the problem that we're trying to solve. And uh, so I, I just love thinking about the fact that all of us are users, you know, in fact, there's a, a massive engineering and IT component of quantum metrics customer base. Um, and so I think when you, when you, that side of cross functionality is like, uh, just put yourself in the customer's shoes, like step back and think about yourself as a user. What if you saw this thing for the first time? Would you understand what it does? Or would you have to go through a year of using quantum to become a super user before, <laughs> before you understand yes. it? Yeah. Um, that's the, just the intuitive side of product for me that I think some people just get, um, they either get so ingrained in the product and they understand it. And so they take themselves out of the new user um, sphere or they just overcomplicate things. And really it just comes back to think about, this product like you're the user yes i love it i love it customer centric you know um mm -hmm. and uh you've also mentioned it's kind of a kind of go-to market thread that runs throughout all the roles is that, I mean, is that the same thing that you're kind of speaking to there yeah yeah there's a part of that is just everyone understanding that this thing lands in a customer's hands and it solves a problem for someone is part of the go-to-market thread um, i also feel like as we've grown we've kind of expanded from getting in a room in the morning stand up and deciding what we're going to do that day. That was, that was like the 10 person company days of like, what should we build today? Build it done. You know, uh, things move really fast. But when you do that, also you sometimes find yourself, you know, 50% of the time you're throwing something out into the market and then the customer is telling you, no, this isn't at all what I needed. <laughs> like I need you to go back to the drawing board and start over. So over time we have added on, more specialized functions of, you know, more heavy PM, UX design, UX research, and then uh, product operations. And this 
has really helped us to hit the mark more often when we go to market. The solution that we put out in the market, the customer goes, yes, that's exactly what I was looking for. That's the problem I had to solve. You guys did it good. Now we can all move on. You know, I can I can solve my problem. You can go build something new. Mm -hmm. And so um, product operations is a little bit uh, newer one for us where we're thinking about the two ends of the spectrum of what do we work on in the first place? How do we measure basically the things on our roadmap and what they could do to benefit the company? What's the ARR behind each of these potential roadmap items and mm -hmm. that sort of thing so that we can say we're intelligently picking the work that we are we're deciding to throw into engineering. Yeah. And then on, on the other side of the spectrum, of course, now after things are built, when we're going to market, do we have all the pieces in place of educating the customer base on how to use it, messaging it to new prospects and sales, helping market marketing to, um, you know, message this new feature set correctly to the market so that you have that good um, gelled transition between marketing messaging and sales meetings. Those are all the things that product operations is working on on the other end. So the real, like tangible go to market side of something once it's built. Yeah, cool. Excellent. That's really good. And now coming back to your kind of teams and how you kind of lead, uh, lead the teams to turn them into kind of powerhouses of creativity and the customer centric uh, productivity that you kind of describe elegantly there. How do you kind of go about that? Yeah, you, you can tell from, from some of the things I'm saying that I really I liked the the kind of fast paced nature of when we were small, when those teams were were smaller in scope and they could think about the problem presented to them, execute on it and get it out the door. Um, maintaining that same structure has been something that I've been going for as we grow. So basically how do I take this group as it's growing as one big blob and kind of break it down into smaller groups that look more like our entire engineering organization did when we were uh, mm -hmm. a 10 person company. And so building feature teams, building pods of groups that are working together, um, definitely cross-functional pods at this point where you have engineering, QA, product management, design working together. Um, that also means uh, we've ha had to put a delivery engineering organization and a platform team into place that can support all those other teams. And kind of, I say it as, you know, build the roadway that they drive on, but they're the ones driving the car all the way to market. Love you know, it. they're the ones kind of with the, we don't have pagers, but you know, they're the ones manning the pager after their thing goes to market, they're going to be on the hook for, um, you know, fixing it if something breaks, yes. but you have these uh, teams that are helping them to deliver something in a more repeatable way, giving them all the build and release tools that they need and SRE monitoring and that sort of thing. Yeah. That that's the support you need to kind of break out into multiple teams and have them work in some kind of way that looks cohesive and similar across those groups. So you don't just have, kind of like scattered pieces all over the place, not working together. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's definitely been the team size thing I've been going for. Brilliant. Excellent. And um, we also talked about alignment, you know, making sure that all these kind of fantastic people, as, as obviously as a company grows, it starts to kind of create all kinds of opportunities to get misaligned when you're all in the room working together. It's pretty generally speaking, it's pretty easy. So uh, how do you kind of go about, uh, creating alignment within an expanding uh, work base? I think a lot of the uh, alignment piece can come from product, uh, product management, product design as being kind of the, um, the gatekeepers of the customer problem that we're trying to solve. And so if we, we schedule our, our sprints accordingly or, or do these epic kickoffs where the whole team gets together and product and design have a chance to say, 
this is the problem that our customers are struggling with. This is what you guys are going to build to solve it. This is what it's going to look like from an actual design standpoint. Then everyone starts the project off with that understanding of here's what we're charging after. And then they can see how their piece of the puzzle fits into that bigger mission. And you uh, keep someone from getting misaligned off into mm-hmm. the, the biggest thing I worry about is someone just ends up thinking, I just have this task. Uh, they just told me to build X and they don't really understand the why, you know, what, yeah, the why, what's the point of, of that? You want them to understand I'm building X because it, it makes this whole thing work in this way. So yeah. I think that, that kickoff and that keeping focus on the customer problem can help that solve that. Brilliant. I, I just a kind of personal feeling around this I, uh, stories, the way stories, we used to write them when I was a developer back in the day. Um, and, you know, when you write a story, you know, the story would be written with a particular kind of formula, you know, the story formula, you know, uh, this is we are building this uh, so that a particular actor can have this solution. And this is the outcome, you know, um, mm-hmm. I guess I guess that kind of creates alignment. The language that we use in defining what we're trying to create also helps build that context, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's the difference between, uh, you know, as a user. I want to be able to change my persona type versus uh, build a drop down persona picker, you know, just wording it that way for, for the engineer, they understand, oh, they need to be able to change their role if they were to transition from one part of the company to another instead of just mechanically build the thing. Yes. Yeah. I like that. And I guess this is, this is an important, I always think that's a really good alignment tool for people to kind of uh, uh, be able to get the feeling for what, who's involved why you're doing and what's the outcome you know um and we kind of touched on this already but i feel like coming back to it because it's an area that i find fascinating and it's i think it's going to be in your space growing pains of a company okay what what are the challenges that you find in growing uh, that you've spotted uh one of them for me has been uh has been expectations so it's it's interesting that the product itself it never goes backwards, at least for us, it's never gone backwards. It's always growing, adding more capability, making things more polished, you know, fixing little bugs here and there. Uh, but even, even with the product always moving forward, it's almost like as the company grows and people see uh, news about, uh, you know, funding and, and new, like the size of our customer base growing and the feature set growing, the expectations that customers have sort of outpace the growth of the product itself, those, those expectations just explode. It's like you're, uh, well, now you've got series A funding and series B funding. And so I expect you to have great customer support 24 seven, uh, you know, on-call product support, 99.9% uptime and and all those expectations, you need to meet them. Of course, Uh, you can't keep acting like that 10 person group. That's like, Oh, what should we build today? So, um, that those, that's been one of the stressful parts of growth is just seeing those expectations and putting people in place, putting new people in place. I talked about the specialized roles that helps a lot with like, um, Hey, we're, we're letting this important task fall by the wayside because we don't have someone to do it, but the expectations of the customers require that role to be filled. We got to go hire a technical writer, product operations or UX research or whatever it is to meet those expectations. And you always have to be kind of nimbly finding the next expectation that you're missing and filling yes. it to continue yeah. growing and meeting that, you know, 
I love that. Yeah, it's um, and, and what I love what you're describing there is having real awareness of what those expectations are, because they're there. You know, whether you, <laughs> whether you know, yep. them, know them or not. Um, we, you also we also kind of discussed um, offline around uh, you know as companies grow, they tend to kind of they tend to devolve as opposed to evolve into something better. Um, yeah, and we kind of use the analogy of dinosaurs. You know, speak to that because mm-hmm. I find that quite interesting. Yeah, that, when I say that um, devolving into dinosaur, I I usually think about the uh, the lack of innovation or the the speed at which you're moving. Um, I think both of those things uh, they come so natural to a small company, uh, and, and part of it is you just don't have all those you don't have all those expectations from the customer that are adding process and layers of other things that you have to do to be a a uh, you know, mature company. And so you just think about the problems all the time that the customer's having. You're just focused all the time on solve this new thing. Here's what we have available to us. Let's go do it. Or, or let's make new capabilities on top of what we already have. So that's, that's the innovation. And then the speed just comes from really not having anything else to do. Like I don't have a bug backlog and I don't have a product support team. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to survive and get this company off the ground. So you move really fast, you solve problems in a really innovative and interesting way. And then over time, you lose some of that, or at least I see some organizations lose some of that. And and all of a sudden, you know, the little guys are are able to eat the lunch of these big organizations that have thousands of engineers and, and used to have a very differentiated product. Yes. So um, I, you know, I think a lot about what it takes to not, to grow while not becoming that kind of dinosaur yeah so okay i'm gonna being the uh kind of coach uh, podcast host that i am so what ideas have you got around doing that have you got anything that you can share you any postulations as the approaches companies can take to stop devolving into dinosaurs you can't ignore those expectations we talked about so you you have to have some some process in place to uh you know address the customer problems to add support as you're building these features and make sure the product is documented and um, make sure you're working on the right thing. So I think you have to have that kind of like you build your, your solid foundation that meets the needs of a customer for a mature organization, but then you don't get rid of the groups of people or the certain individuals who are given the, the space to innovate, to do something new. And I think those are the ones who, um, the way I I like to lead, I talked about that, putting the ownership in people's hands or just giving them a problem and letting them run off and solve it. Um, that's where that uh, desire of my leadership style can thrive by having those groups of people who are very senior, you know, they're very innovative and they can, it's kind of like the skunk works team or the tiger teams that can run off, give them a problem and say, tell me what you can come up with. You know, mm-hmm. you give them the space to work and that, that keeps the innovation going. And then um, speed, part of speed for me has just been that, that getting the team size right, getting the structure of the organization right so that people are in small manageable groups and they, they have that support from those core teams that can allow them to deliver quickly to market. I think if you do that, then you can keep the speed. If you do the Tiger teams and um, Skunk Works, then you can keep the innovation. Brilliant. Love it. That's great words. So as we come towards the end arc of our podcast time together, I just want to ask you a question. I love asking uh, technology leaders out there. Are there any books, podcasts, or sources of information that you think are really important, have been important in your, your journey 
and you want to kind of share that with people out there yeah i'm i'm a huge reader i'm a i mean i'm a i'm an audiobook listener because i love to i feel like i don't have time to sit down and read but i can work out or mow the lawn or do all these things while listening to, to <laughs> yeah. audiobooks all the time. So I always have something going in my ears. So I have a, a large library, uh, you know, different areas of, of, uh, subject matter that have been, um, interesting to me, you know, early on in management, I can certainly remember, uh, first break all the rules being kind of that, that management foundation yeah. of, you know, sometimes you, uh, you naturally think I need to make sure everyone elevates to the same level of work, does the same thing. Like you, you automatically think about building robots, <laughs> but then yeah. that book is all about um, people are different. They have different strengths and really the, the um, creative part of leadership is figuring out how to fit those different strengths together to make a, a great team. Um, so that was what first break all the rules was about. Um, and then lately I've been really into uh, some books by companies that are now large, the founders of some companies that are now, now large and successful, but they kind of chronicle their, their journey from that startup era, because that's just very relevant to, to where we are right now. Uh, so I, I read, uh, ask your developer recently by Jeff Lawson, yeah. um, reading, uh, the innovation stack right now by the, the guys from square. Yeah. Um, so I love just hearing those stories about, you know, we had a, a big competitor that was kind of nipping at our heels and here's how we still won. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing is is really fascinating for me to read. I love that. I'd love to see a Netflix series actually on that, you know, little kind of bite-sized stories. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if you've watched the Black Mirror, uh, Black Mirror, these kind of mm -hmm. short stories about how yep. technology has a kind of uh, a different side to it. But, you know, from a tech leader's perspective, this is how we, we broke the, the kind of ice on, you know, the, the, the path forward kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Another kind of like area of topics that has been interesting to me is I don't like to think of myself or or engineering in general as pigeonholed into this, just think about technical things all the time. It's back to some of the other things I've talked about. You're trying to generate an experience for the customer. Yeah. And so even though it's not in a technical realm, I love just having things like going into my ear about, customer number one, you know, always think about creating that great experience and just, I might write some code because of hearing that, that does a little bit better job of serving the customer than if I didn't hear it. Brilliant. I love that. That's great. So we come to an even more funner part of the podcast, which I love and hopefully the guests love as well, which is I'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a second. I'm going to offer you a tech wish. What would you wish for? Okay, now, now I'm gathering my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's like when it when it finally is presented to me. Um, there's so many things I would wish for. I have trouble choosing, but yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it this thread of of what we've been talking about has been a little bit of like hitting the the customer need, like really making the customer feel like uh, you are working for them in their favor, solving the exact problem that they need. But it's also been balancing that with also executing in a way that can keep the organization ahead of the competition because you are staying uh, nimble. And I think about like Tesla these days, I think part of their mission statement is something about uh, as fast as possible. Like their mission statement ends with all this stuff about delivering electric cars as fast as we possibly can. And 
uh, it, maybe it's the love of change in me that just likes to get things done, iterate, see the customer use it, and then do some more work on it. Um, I'd love to to combine those two things and say that we are working as fast as possible, and we're always mission driven, always centered around that customer need, and we're always delivering exactly what the customer wants. This is like you asked me my wish. It's like a utopian, you know, we never miss on, on the customer yeah, need yes. and we always get it done as fast as that team can, can get it done. Because I think you, you see the results of your work more often that way. And I think that's, that's really beneficial for anyone in this industry. It's like as, as often as possible, I get to see something that I did get used. I get to have some insight from it and, and, you know, further dial it in as I go. Brilliant. I like that. And I think that's really important as well, because if engineers and, and leaders within tech space, if it's too long before this thing kind of gets out into space and is being used, people kind of lose that enthusiasm. They also lose mm -hmm. the context of why they were doing it. There's a whole kind of things that kind of hang off the end of that. And uh, yeah, so getting it out quickly and, and getting it working and seeing the impact, you know, because it drives, you know, it inspires uh, in itself. Yep. Brilliant. Okay, so final key takeaway for our tech leader men and women out there. What's your kind of key takeaway that you'd like to leave them with? Uh, I guess it would be to, to you know, instill your teams with the why behind what they're doing. Um, that's just been, it's been something that's been great for my career. It makes my day-to-day -day, uh, just more fulfilling, always focusing on, on why I'm doing something. Uh, I think it's just so easy, especially in engineering to just get mired in, okay, I'm building this system and here's how it has to perform. And there's something about it that's not working. So I'm going to go fix that piece. And uh, when you can, when you think that way, you just get, uh, get kind of dragged down over the years of doing this. But if your mind can focus on the why you're doing it, the people behind this product that you're building, uh, I think it can give you kind of a lot more longevity um, in your career as an engineer. Brilliant. Great words to finish on. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for your time, sir. Yeah, thanks, TC. Appreciate it. Well, I love my conversation with Adam. It's great to have conversations with leaders like Adam that work with products that become amplifiers for other organisations, a kind of accelerant. The solution that Quantum Metric is providing is a real accelerant for continuous product design and development, speeding up the whole process to help organisations become more agile in the market. So what were your key takeaways from the podcast? Mine were as follows. My first key takeaways is the art of asking the right questions so that you get to the solution quicker. As I often say to leaders that I'm working with, the answer is in the question. My second key takeaway is why looking at data with various perspectives helps deliver more complete products, i.e. different lenses to spark an unfurling of insights into that data. And my third and final key takeaway is a reinforcement of the importance of feedback loops. That's what Quantum Metrics is doing. They are providing feedback loops. All healthy systems have healthy feedback loops and the system of product development is no exception. So thank you for your wisdom and time, Adam. I look forward to seeing the continuing success of Quantum Metrics and the continued success of your tool, creating success and return on investment for your clients. Thank you. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. 
we are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.